Well, good morning, Door Creek. For any of you who are guests, a special welcome to you. My name's Mark, one of the pastors. And a heads up for the church family, we've got about 45 uh, from our church who are venturing off to Israel on Tuesday. So we look forward to maybe even sending you a little video update. And we're really excited about this trip. And as you think of us, pray for us. And if you've never been, you probably ought to put it on your bucket list. You'll never read the Bible the same when you've had a chance to get over the places that we read about in God's Word. So when I was in junior high school, I was a mess. You know that story. Well, you don't know the story, but anyways, that's enough. Um, There was um, a good youth group, and the youth group was run by these volunteers. Back in the day, we called them sponsors. Anybody had sponsors? We had sponsors. So I think of uh, Bev and Harvey Larson, And I think of Joe and Iris Ballard, who just loved on us goofy middle school students. And the neat thing about Joe and Iris is that they lived literally two blocks down the street. So they'd take me back and forth to church. And that was always cool because Joe had a 1967 convertible Camaro. And that thing was really fast. And when his wife Iris was saying, Joe, not so fast, I'm in the backseat going, faster. He could get rubber in all four gears, if you know what I mean. So he had that car. He had a boat. He he invited me to go sailing on his little lightning sailboat. That was great. And uh, he was a carpenter, and a good carpenter. And they bought a house two blocks down, right? And it was an old house, and it needed a lot of work. So he, he enlisted me to become part of his demolition crew. Who better to demolish things than junior high students, right? I mean, a perfect fit. I loved it. I'd done a little bit with my dad. We remodeled our dining room, and I remember tearing off the plaster and the lath. But Joe's house, I mean, it's a whole thing from top to bottom. We were just stripping it all down to the studs, and, and I was getting a taste of it. You know, when you're really deep into demolition work and, and you're really getting into it, you blow your nose and you see colors you've never seen before. It's like, I didn't know it could go black, but yeah. So demolition. Then in college, I worked with a uh, general contractor, and one of the guys on the crew, guy's named Lou. Lou was a big guy, 6'5". He, he'd been a journeyman in the trade, and uh, I'd go on the jobs with Lou, and we worked in hospitals, and we'd tear things apart. And whenever Lou said, I got it, step back, you, you understood. Things are going to be flying. Just get out of the way, because you don't know what could happen. So I've been around demolition a lot, so it's not surprising that within the first hour of owning our first house... I had the saws all out and I was cutting out a wall because that's just what you do when you own a house and you want to make things open and spacious. And so we're into demolition. I love demolition. And what I've learned about demolition, yeah, it's messy, but it's fast. It's fast. And what I learned when I saw my neighbor's house literally go down in a day, I left in the morning, the excavator was just pulling up. And by the time I got home, it was gone. What what I learned is, man, it's a lot faster to tear something down than it is to build something. A lot faster. And God's word today wants to talk to us about demolition and construction relative to the church. And it kind of asks this question, what business are we in? And when it comes to the church, it's not an either or. It's, 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 it is an either or. It's not a both and. You're either tearing it down or you're building it up. And the church at Corinth 
Really, they were clueless in the fact that they actually were in the demolition business. And they were tearing things apart. And as they were dividing over a lot of things, in the beginning, we know they're dividing over leaders. What we know is, not only are they compromising the unity of the church, but they're actually slowly moving the church's focus off of Jesus and off of the gospel and onto these leaders who are good men, but they weren't the ones, ultimately, that they were to follow. They weren't their crucified Lord and Savior. So grab a Bible, and let's get to 1 Corinthians 3. So you can see here in my Bible, we're in the New Testament. We're towards the back. We're after the book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome, before Galatians. And you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and join me as uh, you... Read along and I'll read out loud. Verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. All right, so chapter three. We've got about 23 verses, right? And the first section, Paul's gonna be talking to the church about this business that they've backed into without even knowing it and all the implications of being in the demolition business relative to the church. Then he's going to talk and focus in on construction, verses 10 through 15. And he's focusing in on the leaders, but in effect to all of us as we think about how it is, what are the specs, what is, how, how are we supposed to build God's church? And then he ends with some very practical application in verses 16 and following. So first, he gets into this whole thing of demolition, and he, and he gets right to the root cause. And the root cause is actually not their fighting and their jealousy. That's actually a symptom of the deeper issue. Their, their root cause is they're spiritually immature. He opens up chapter 3. He says, I wish I could, I wish I could address you as spiritual people. Spirit-filled people, but I can't. Now, he's not saying that they don't have the Spirit. Because we know from verse 5 of chapter 1, verse 7, that they've been enriched and gifted, and those gifts we'll find out in chapters 12 and following are from the Spirit. So they have the Spirit, but they're practically functioning, not out of the Spirit's leadership in their life, but they're, they're just going back to the ways and wisdom of the world. They're following their own heart's desire. They are spiritually immature. They're acting like mere humans. So he uses the words infants, right? 
And he talks about, you know, when I came, I gave you the milk, and I'd love to give you solid food, but you're still not ready. You haven't progressed to this point spiritually where you are able to take in the solid food because you still, you're still taking in milk. So he, he talks about some signs, some signs of their immaturity. And then the first sign would be this whole thing of diet. So just imagine tomorrow, I, I visited you at your lunchroom, right? And I brought my, I like packing a bag of lunch. And so I bring my brown bag and uh, I got my drink. And um, I, I got my lunch. This is Gerber sweet potato and turkey with whole grains. And you're going like, what, what, what's going on? What are you doing? We don't, you know, there's a time when we give our children a bottle, right? And, and, and there's a time we give them the pureed food, right? But, but then they, they're growing and develop and they need more. And so we move them on to solid foods. And this is like, you know, it's kind of humorous to just see. I mean, this is just, you wouldn't invite me to lunch, would you? This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. And it's probably good to read those opening verses and go, if we're sitting in church, there's probably about 50 of us in this house church, and somebody would be reading this letter. When, when he started talking about mere infants and talking about milk and solid foods, they weren't chuckling like we're doing with this goofy illustration. They, they, that was like, they were offended. They, this, was a, this was a stinging rebuke for the people. You know, I'm just going to leave it out because it's better to just see this throughout this message, right? So let me get this thing away so you can see this. All right, so here's, here's the diet issue. They're immature. It's seen in their diet. Now, what exactly does it mean that they're on milk and not on solid food? I love this. You'll hear me say this. The Bible is an interpretation. It doesn't need to be interpreted. So this whole concept, this metaphor is even, 90% of the, of the symbols in the Bible are interpreted for us. Now here's an example. You go over to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It starts expounding, helping us understand this metaphor of milk and solids. In fact, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. Ah, what's milk? Elementary truths of God's word. The basics. God loves you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. You're a sinner. He died for your sin. The basics of the faith, okay? You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food, what's solid food? The teaching about righteousness is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Not just as a mental category, but because, because they've had teaching about righteousness, they are now not only understanding the basics of the faith, the gospel, but they're living that out. So here's the disconnect for them. And this is like a huge disconnect for us when we think about growing spiritually. We can confuse progress in the faith to knowledge. They've got the knowledge. They know the basics. They've got the milk. 
But, but they're not applying the gospel and living it out. It's seen in their diet. It's seen in, secondly, their direction, that they're not following the, the way of the Spirit. They're following the wisdom of the world. They're following their own heart's desires, which are not God's desires. So they're going the wrong way. And this whole word here, world or worldly, that we have several times in chapter three, it's literally, in the original language, flesh. So there's this, there's this contrast between the spirit and flesh. Flesh being that which is human. This is part of our fallen nature as opposed of the spirit of God. So there's the diet issue. There's the direction. They're going the wrong way. And then there's this whole thing of they're, they're, they're not building up the church. They're actually tearing down the very thing that's supposed to build up. So there's this divisiveness. They're fighting instead of loving. And there's these attitudes, jealousy. And there's these actions. There, there's fighting. Now, jealousy is one of those, those subtle things. How do you know? How do you know if someone's jealous? Well, it's not like you can read it. It, it might manifest in things that happen. We don't really think about jealousy being kind of operative in the church. Absolutely it is. And it can operate for a lot of different ways and reasons. It may have to do with someone's abilities and gifts and go, man, I wish I had those gifts because I notice whenever that person uses those gifts, man, people notice it. I wish people noticed me. You might go, well, I, I, I wish I had their station in life. I, I wish I had his marriage. I wish I had his job. I wish I had her job. I wish I had their stuff. There's a lot of different reasons why there could be jealousy. And the jealousy is an attitude that is very, very undetected. I mean, look around. Can you point out the jealous people here? I can't. can't see it. But it operates. And it operates at a heart level. And it begins to break things down. Because the focus of a jealous person, when I'm jealous, is I'm all focused on me. And when we're focused on ourselves, we are not poised to build things up. Our selfish ambition will actually work against the unity and the strength and the growth of the church. And so the attitudes of jealousy are huge. James talks about this. James 3. But if you harbor bitter envy... And selfish ambition, so bitter envy is, is synonymous with jealousy. And selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly. The wisdom he's talking about is, is jealousy and selfishness. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So I, I think what he's doing is, is giving us a lens and giving them a lens in what's really going on here. So what, what do we know that's going on? What's the first thing that he's talking about? The division that's going on as they've set up camps and they've got this bobblehead Christianity approach where they're, they're venerating the leader at the expense of Christ. And so it, he's saying, look, you guys may be deluded into thinking that what's going on is, well, we just have different guys that we really like. And he's saying, yeah, but it's more than that. It's not just that you're a Paul fan 
that there's something selfish going on here with, with this whole promotion of Paul. Because you're a Paul guy, and if you can prove that Paul has one up on Apollos, then you have one on, on this guy, that gal, who is into Apollos. And it's just subtle, and he's talking about how envy and jealousy is all wrapped in selfish ambition, and it's tearing things apart. So too they're fighting. And what we might think just looks like, I mean, come on. I'm of Apollos. I'm a Paul. I'm a Peter guy. I'm a Jesus guy. You're going, I mean, at face value, you're going, this is like the stuff of the playground. My dad's bigger than your dad. No, he's not. My dad can lift a, lift a car. My dad can lift a tree. My dad can lift a house. God, this is like, what's going on here? It, 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 it seems like just silly, but, but actually it's very serious. Not just because it's deteriorating the unity of the body, because it's actually moving their focus away from Christ and the gospel and the cross. So there's the diet issue that shows their immaturity. They're going in the wrong direction, following the, the, the wisdom of the world, right? Not the spirit. There's this divisive attitudes and actions. And then the last sign of their immaturity is how they have been thinking about their leaders. And they have, they've exaggerated their place. What does Paul say? He says, this is how you should think about them. And he doesn't say who. Did you notice that? You'd think he'd say, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? He doesn't. He says, what? Because there's only one who in the church when it comes to leadership. It's Jesus. So then what are these people? Ah, he answers the question. Servants. Servants of who? Look down at chapter 4, verse 1. Servants of who? See it? Servants of Christ. So we're only servants, Paul's saying. Servants of Christ. And we've been given a job to do. He's, he's assigned us tasks. Paul said, he gave me a bag of seeds. And he said, throw the seed, man. Throw the seed wherever you go. When he got to Corinth, what do we know? He went right. He made a beeline to the synagogue. And he's throwing the seed of the gospel to a group of people. Some believed and most of them said, you are nuts. And they kicked him out, beat him up, and he moved over to Tisha Justice's house. He's sowing the seed. He said, Apollos, he came after the seed and he was watering the seed to help it grow. And for those that had germinated and started to grow, help them grow bigger and stronger. But at the end of the day, it was God who made the seed grow, who brought in the harvest. It's God. We're just servants. We're just instruments of God. Don't lose your way here. So there's immaturity. And the immaturity is what just sets in motion this demolition crew that's doing work that they don't realize that they're doing, that's breaking down the unity, that's moving away from Christ, making them ineffective in being agents of God in this world who are talking about a gospel that unites us with the Father, but they don't have any unity. And when that happens, people go, maybe, probably not. I mean, if you can't get along with each other, why in the world should I think I could have peace with God and be right with God? So it's all blowing up. And that's an important thing. When we know the gospel, but don't live out the gospel, a cross-centered life that is marked with this love for others that, that supersedes my love and care for myself. When I know the gospel, but don't live the gospel, I end up tearing down the very thing God's called me to build up. 
the church. And what's dangerous is we can get into this category that goes, I know the gospel. I know what the cross is about. I know who Jesus is. I know that God loves the world and go, and I'm good. That's the beginnings. And that good beginning needs to sustain us, not just to mental ascent and categories of rational thinking, but to change the very moral categories of our life, the ethics of our life. Faith without ethics is bogus. Faith without works, Paul sa James says, is bogus. So that's what's going on here. That's the demolition stuff. So did you notice Paul switched metaphors, right? Do you see that in verse 9? For we are co-workers in God's service. Paul's saying all the leaders belong to God. You are God's field. You guys belong to God. And then he goes, God's building, because he's going to switch the metaphor from the farm to the construction site, to the building. Now, remember, in Paul's day, buildings often took a long, long time. The great buildings of antiquity sometimes took even over hundreds of years. So it wouldn't be uncommon for one guy to lay the foundation and others years, decades later to build on it. Have that in mind as we read together at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. That's literally in, in the Greek here, the word that we get for architect. So a design, an architect who, who also builds that plan, a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. On what? On the foundation he laid, on Jesus Christ. But each one should build with care. That's kind of the dominant teaching here. Build the church with care. Be careful. Be careful. There's something about demolition that by, and there's some exceptions, but by and large, it's reckless. I've I, I rarely used my measure, when I thought about it, I've rarely used my measuring tape when I demolish something. And sometimes I'm surprised. Oh, I didn't know that line. I didn't, oh, man. Whoa, that was close. It's, there's a recklessness to demolition. There's great care in building, right? Be careful, he says. Be careful. Build with care, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that is the judgment day, the day of the Lord will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. Fire is a symbol for judgment in the Bible. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. So Paul wants to talk about building up. His focus is on the leaders, but everybody has something to, to hear because we, we, we know from Ephesians 2.20 that he's, he's joined us together and he's called us to build each other up and build this house of God into a greater and greater house effective for God's work in this world. So it's good stuff, especially for leaders, but all the rest of us. We think about these, these verses and I'm, man, I'm listening to it this week, listening to it. Mark, pay attention. It has everything to do with your ministry, but it has everything to do with me as a father, with you as a parent, with you as a small group leader, with you as just a small group participant. What does it look like to build up God's church? 
Well, we begin with, we, we, we build with care. We build with care, understanding that one day there's going to be an inspection. And unlike the building inspection, where the inspector comes and says, I got to look at the electric. And he goes, well, you know, you got a couple of things. You got to, I'm going to mark it here on the ticket and you get those things corrected and I'll pass the inspection. Well, there, there is no going back. So this is not like the building inspections of today. You got one chance at it and you don't want to get to this place where we stand before God and he says, Mark, I specked it out. I told you what materials to use and you were careful. You didn't think it was a big deal to put a two by four where I called for an I-beam. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So he says, build with care. Careful about what? What's the first thing he talks about? Foundations. We know that foundations matter, right? Remember when Jesus talked about foundations, the guy who built his house on, you know, this bedrock stone, and the other guy who built it on, on sand. You know, we... If you don't know what's underneath, you go, those two houses look identical. It, on a sunny day, it doesn't matter until the storm comes, the rain comes, and the waters start moving the sand, and one's left standing and one's not. Foundations matter. He says, look, I laid a foundation, but at the end of the day, it's not about me and what I did. There is only one foundation. It's Jesus. That's the bedrock that the church is built on. That's where we stand strong on Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to make a beeline to the cross. Christ crucified. So don't build another foundation. Don't think it's not enough. Don't think you can build on that foundation and take it out and cantilever off of that. No, no, no. There's one foundation. Be careful that you're building on that foundation because anything around that foundation, that's shaky ground. What's the second thing he says about being careful about? Get the right materials. So he mentions gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Now, what's the point? What are the ones that we're supposed to use? Well, we're supposed to use the materials that'll pass the inspection, the judgment. So it's metaphor of the judgment. The inspection is fire. What's going to, what's going to stand up to the fire of God's judgment? Well, gold, silver, precious stones, not wood, hay, and straw. So make sure you're using the right materials. Okay, that's a great metaphor. I get it. Now I want to get it, get it. So what is gold? What does it mean to build with silver today? How do you know if you're using gold to raise your kids or straw? How do you know if your ministry to the kids downstairs is gold or hay? How do we know if, if our activity together as a small group is the stuff of gold, silver, and precious stone or wood, hay, and stubble? How do we know? It's really important that we figure this out. Well, the context is giving us some clues. What has he been going after these first three chapters? Christ and him crucified, which is shorthand for the gospel. You want to build a building and get it strong? You keep building it on Christ and the gospel, and you don't move away from it because it's not just the stuff of the foundations. It goes all the way up through the whole building. And if you're going to build it on the gospel, you've got to be building it on the word of God. Because it's the word of God that teaches us. 
And the Spirit is using the Word of God to guide us. And the Spirit is using the Word of God to convict us and tell us when we're, we're getting off. It's the Word of God being used by the Spirit of God that makes things strong. And the temptation is, in a world just like their world, where people could go, really, is that it? It's just about this guy named Jesus who died on a cross like 2,000 years ago? Is that it? When you're confronted with the foolishness of the gospel, it's easy for us to go, I just got to prop it up a little bit. And so it starts to become about personality. It starts to become about eloquence and wisdom. Remember what he said in 117. I refuse to go down the route of what everybody else is doing in Corinth, going down the path of wisdom and eloquence. I just gave you the simple gospel and let the gospel's power be unleashed because I didn't want to get in the way. I didn't want to cover it up. But man, we're confronted with this. There's a lot of people that you're going to go to work with tomorrow, to school with tomorrow, who just thinks this gospel of a living God who would send his own son to die on a cross and that's the hope of the world, that's just a bunch of nonsense. And so then we want to just kind of, let me help you. It's like, it's really good for your marriage. And so we start passing out these bromides for how Jesus fixes marriage. Well, Jesus does fix marriage. But that, that heart of the gospel, the way Jesus fixes marriage is he fixes hearts. But, but we can get all goofed up on, man, I got to have lots of good illustrations so that they're really entertained today. I want to make sure my PowerPoints are really cool. Maybe throw in a video clip, get an illustration here. It's really tempting to want to shore it up. Really tempting to do that. And so build with care. Because at the end of the day, here's what we don't want to say. I blew it. I blew it. By the grace of God, I'm going to be with God forever. Praise God. But I'm going to have an opportunity to look back on that day to know what I did for God on days like today. And you and I don't want to get in his presence and go, man, we lost our way. We lost our confidence in the gospel in our attempt to win people for Christ and grow them to be more like Christ, we got involved in all these external things that aren't fundamentally about Jesus and aren't fundamentally about the gospel. And we lost our way. And there's nothing lasting from what I was involved in. And God asked me to, to join him in his work of making all things new and uniting all things. And I missed the opportunity because I, I was building with wood, hay, and straw. And God gave me the gold, and he gave me the silver. But I just thought I, these materials probably work better. So he specked it out. This is the foundation. These are materials. You will give an answer. You will face a building inspector. It's me. So demolition, construction. Verse 16, he starts to bring it home. First application, Heed the warning. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now he's talking to the church, right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. What is the temple? It's the church. That's the building. You're God's field. You're God's building, right? Verse 9. What, what are we, the building? We're the temple. What was the temple? Well, the temple was the very place where God took up residence, 
where the Spirit of God comes down over the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant, between the wings of the cherubim. That was God's presence. That was the place where the, the high priest would go one time a year on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifices for all the people. It was a fearful thing to go in there because God was in that place. He says, now you're the temple. So you can read this and people have read it and go, oh, it's talking about our body. Well, he's going to talk about the temple of our body in chapter 6 about sexual purity. That's not where he's going with this metaphor. You yourselves are the temple. Destroy the temple is not about suicide. It's about ecclesiastical homicide. It's about destroying the church. And the warning is this, destroy the church, tear it down, you'll be destroyed. Ruin the church with your petty jealousy. Ruin the church with your infighting. Tear it apart, all of it, and you will be ruined. It's a strong warning. And the warning is, hey, look, don't think you can get away with, don't be deceived into thinking, this doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. It's a really big deal. Don't be deceived into thinking, but I'm good. Because man, I go to worship and I give and I pray and I'm gifted and I do all this stuff and I've been doing it for years. I'm good, I'm mature. He says, no, you're not. Don't say you're good here with God. Mature here in your walk with God. If you can't get along, if you harbor envy and jealousy, if there's discord and, and you're not moving towards making peace, you, you aren't good. Don't be deceived that it's not a big thing. Don't be deceived that God doesn't care. What does it say here? He catches us in our folly. And so humble yourself. Humble yourself. And humility brings us to this place of going, man, I, man, I didn't even know we were going to talk about demolition and construction, but now that I'm hearing God's word, maybe I'm in the wrong business. And we have a change of mind. And this is, actually, it's a big deal. It's not just a big deal for this church. It's a big deal for me. It's a really big deal for me. And so repentance means I have a change of mind about what I've been thinking and doing, and it leads to a change of action and direction. So now I'm going this way. And it calls us to repent and turn around and move away from following the ways and wisdom of this world, the evil desires of my own heart, and acting like a mere human being that's still got a bottle. And going, man, I gotta grow up and I gotta get to this solid food and I need to know what it means to live a righteous life. Not just to love God, but how that works out in loving my neighbor as myself, beginning in the family, my family, God's family. How in the world are we going to reach the world if it's not happening in our own families? So humility involves repentance. And it involves this new change of following the Spirit. He talks about this very thing in Galatians. Galatians 5. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, that's what they weren't doing. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So that word flesh is the same word for worldly that we saw in chapter three. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Now listen to this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, oh, that's a bad one. Impurity, more of sexual immorality. 
Debauchery, yeah, living like that all the time. That's bad stuff. Idolatry, woo, that sounds terrible. Witchcraft, that's bad. <laughs> Hatred, hmm, hmm. Discord, hmm. Jealousy, hmm. Fits of rage, yeah, that's bad. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, oh, that's bad. Drunkenness, oh, that's really bad. Origin, and the like. I mean, look at that list that it fits into. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, with all the rest. Oh, serious stuff. I warn you, as I did before, that those, listen to this, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is Paul saying you lose your salvation? No, he's saying you were, you were tricked into thinking that you were saved. You were tricked into thinking that just because you knew the right answer, but you weren't living out by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, that you were in a position that you weren't. You were deceived. You didn't lose your salvation. You never were in. Ah, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. What happens when we're following the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, is there's this overflow of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit heed the warning humble yourself repent turn around don't be deceived follow the spirit and the last thing he says and guys don't forget what you have. Don't forget what you have. This is huge for us. So verse 20, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile, so, that, so then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. All things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the leaders belong to you, or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours. All belong to you. And you are of Christ. You belong to Christ. And Christ is of God. And Christ belongs to God. And because you belong to Christ who belongs to God, you have all things. And when you make it just about your leaders, guess what? You've cut yourself off from the one who gives you all things. When, when, when you get your Christian life getting all down to this myopic little circle of it's this. You cut yourself off to all things that we have in Christ. Remember that you have all things. And when you have all things, what are you jealous of? What are we fighting for when we have all things? You see how it works? So man, when there's jealousy, I realize, all right, you know what's going on? There's insecurity in my life that is rooted not just in my own insecurity. It's rooted in I'm not believing who I am in Christ and what I have. You have all things. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1.3. Remember what you have. Because if you remember what you have, you won't be fighting for what you think you need because you already have it. So what business are we in today? Is the gospel just a lot of information? Is it transforming how I think 
and live my life. Because if it's not going in that way, the very thing that God calls me to build up is going to be the very thing that I tear down to my own demise. Let's pray. Father God, we bless you that you say, Lord Jesus, even if we don't build the church, you are building the church and not even the gates of hell will stand in its way. And we just want to be part of that. We want your kingdom to grow in our hearts. We, we want our security to grow in all that we have in you, Lord Jesus, who connects us to the Father, who is the God of this universe. And so we have it all. And forgive us for living like we just are paupers who need so much more. Show us where we're at as infants or growing to maturity. Show us the attitudes that are tearing things apart. Would you inform us, very wisely inform us and what it looks like this week to, to build with gold and silver into our marriage, into our kids, into our ministries. May this church be about that, built on the foundation of your son. And until you come or call us home, may we be found faithful. And may we bring you joy, as your word talks about, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like the oil that anointed Aaron setting him apart as the unique high priest of God's people. May the unity set us apart in this world. Diverse people with diverse backgrounds who look different and think different and have differences in all areas of our life that are profoundly united like nothing else in this world. May it be beautiful and it may be as refreshing as the dew on Mount Hermon. That it would draw people to the one and only one who is uniting all things together in this world for our good and your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.